0: Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recap's Doctor Who. Today we're on Season 1, Episode 9, The Empty Child, uh, which of course establishes quite a few things that will be important throughout the series later. Uh, Most notably, though, uh, would be that this episode is written by Stephen Moffat, as is uh, the next episode after this, Uh, Important as he will be showrunner for seasons 5 through 10, so very important that he gets his start on this two-part episode uh, arc here. Uh, That's the big one I can bring up now, Uh, so let's get right into what transpires in this episode. Uh, We begin in the TARDIS, uh, chasing a metal cylinder that is displaying a mob alert which prompts Rose to ask why they're chasing it. The doctor informs her that mauve is the universally recognized color for danger, as only humans consider it to be red. Uh, Then they uh, just keep on going on. They eventually land in the center of London. Uh, The doctor and Rose step out of the TARDIS and search the object. The doctor noting they've arrived about a couple of weeks to maybe a month after the cylinder did as it was continually jumping time tracks and therefore was hard to keep up with. Uh, He hears music coming from behind a locked door and uses the sonic screwdriver to open it. He steps inside, but Rose hears a child calling for his mother. She looks up and sees a young boy wearing a gas mask on the roof. Uh, The door the doctor enters leads to a makeshift cabaret. The singer ends her set after singing part of a song that I will get back to later uh, here, uh, the doctor steps up to the microphone and asks if anyone, if anything has fallen from the sky in the past few days. <laughs> Everyone laughs, and the doctor finally uh-huh. spots posters showing that it's 1941, the middle of the London Blitz, and he uh, realizes his mistake there. In the meantime, Rose has reached the roof of the building where the young boy is standing. A rope dangles in front of her, and she uses it to climb up, not realizing it is attached to a barrage balloon, a large blimp, uh, above. It rises, taking Rose with it off the roof, and uh, she sees bits of the city of London in flames. As spotlights sweep through the sky, the sound of anti-aircraft fire and bombers flying right at her. Uh, the doctor returns to the TARDIS and sees no sign of Rose, and... Uh, then, the exterior phone on the TARDIS begins to ring, and the doctor notes that it is not a real phone, uh, so he is very confused as to how it is ringing. Uh, when a young woman appears, tells him not to answer. Uh, the doctor asks her how the telephone can be ringing, but when he turns back, she has disappeared. He picks up the earpiece, but all that comes through is a child's voice, asking, Are you my mummy? Uh, several times before it falls dead again. Hearing clattering down the alley, the doctor looks over a wall into a residential garden and sees a woman ushering a family into an air raid shelter. He also spots the young woman he saw moments before entering the house. She begins to raid the cupboards for tinned food once inside. Uh, Rose is still hanging on by a rope over a blazing London. Uh, From a balcony below, a man dressed in an RAF uniform peers through binoculars up at her. A British Army officer addresses him as Jack and asks if he is going to the shelter. Jack is distracted by Rose's appearance uh, and he heads off to go figure out how to get her off this giant rope. Uh, Rose loses her grip on the rope and falls until she finds her descent, halted by a blue beam Uh, Jack's voice tells her to deactivate her mobile phone and to keep her limbs inside the light field as she slides rapidly down the beam into Jack's ship. Uh, Back at the house, the young woman has been joined by other children. They begin to eat the dinner left on the table. The doctor appears suddenly and deduces that all of them must be homeless. I notice that as it is 1941, they should have been evacuated to the countryside long ago. Children say they were, but they returned to London for various reasons. Uh, Nancy, the young woman who told him not to answer the food the phone earlier, uh, finds them food this way waiting for families to hide in shelters before stealing their food. Uh, the doctor asks the children if they have seen the cylinder that he was chasing, drawing them a picture but before any can answer. There is a knocking on the window, accompanied by the trademark, "Are you my mummy?" Uh, Outside is a child in a gas mask. He wanders over to the front door uh, and Nancy hurriedly bolts the door before he can get in. Nancy tells the doctor that he is not exactly a child, uh, then orders the other children to leave by the back door. The child sticks his arm through the mail slot. We see that he has a scar on the back of his hand. Uh, Nancy tells the doctor not to let the child touch him or he will become just like the child, empty. The telephone on the mantelpiece rings. The doctor picks it up and hears the same plaintive request. Are you my mummy? Nancy grabs the receiver and hangs up. Uh, The child apparently has the ability to make telephone calls. Uh, The doctor asks the child through the door why the other children are frightened of him. Uh, But he keeps asking to be let in, saying that he is scared of the bombs. The doctor agrees to open the door, but when he does, the street is empty. Rose finds herself in Jack's ship, which she says is very Spock-like, a reference to which he does not understand and also theoretically doesn't make a ton of sense either, really, but it's for a different day. Yes, (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) He introduces himself as Captain Jack Harkness, an American volunteer with number 133 Squadron RAF. He hands her an identification card, which Rose identifies as psychic paper. Shows her whatever he wants her to see, which is apparently that he is single and works out. Uh, Jack manages to use his ship's nanogenes to treat Rose's hands for rope burns. He also tells her to stop acting, as he can spot a time agent a mile away and had been expecting one to turn up. Jack invites her for a drink on the balcony. Opening the hatch, they step out onto the invisible hole of the ship floating next to Big Ben. Uh, meanwhile, Nancy makes her way across an abandoned rail yard to a locomotive where she unloads, unloads the tins she took from the house. The doctor surprises her once again, having followed her. He has made the connection between the fallen cylinder and the child. Uh, Nancy tells him about a bomb falling near the Limehouse Green Station that was not a bomb. Is now guarded by soldiers and barbed wire. Nancy says if he wants to find out what is going on, he needs to talk to the doctor. Uh, on top of his ship, Jack and Rose continue to flirt. He tells her that he has something the time agency would like to buy and asks if she is empowered to negotiate. Rose plays along, saying that she should talk to her companion first. He tells her that what fell on London was a fully equipped Chula warship the last of its kind, it offers to get it for her if the agency names the right price, or the deadline for a decision is in two hours, as that is when a German bomb will fall and destroy it. Uh, the doctor uses his binoculars to monitor the crash site from afar with Nancy. She encourages him to go speak to the doctor at the nearby Albion Hospital. The doctor remarks that Nancy is looking after the children to make up for something, and she admits that it is because her brother, Jamie, died during an air raid in the wards the doctor finds the bodies uh the beds filled with corpses wearing gas masks an elderly man in a doctor's coat appears he tells the doctor that there are hundreds of them uh, he reveals himself to be dr constantine and he invites the doctor to examine the masked people warning him not to touch their flesh the doctor finds it impossibly All of them have identical injuries to the skull and chest cavity. The gas masks are also seemingly fused to their flesh, although there are no burns or scarring. They also have lightning-shaped scars on the backs of their hands. Constantine has the same scar, but the doctors did not notice. Uh, Constantine explains that when the bomb dropped, it claimed one victim. Those in contact with it soon suffered the same injuries, the symptoms, spreading like a plague. The doctor asks what killed them. Constantine responds by telling them that they are not dead. When he wraps his cane against an empty pail, the corpses come to life. The doctor takes a startled step back, but Constantine informs them that they are harmless. They just sit there. They have no life signs, but they do not die. All Constantine can do now is make them comfortable. He states that before the war, he was a father and a grandfather. Now he is neither, but still a doctor. The doctor, having been through a rather similar experience, as we'll learn about later, uh, tells Constantine that he knows what it is like. He suspects the army has a plan to blow up the hospital and blame it on a German bomb, as isolated cases are now breaking out all over London. He directs the doctor to room 802, and the first victim, Nancy's brother, was housed. Constantine says that Nancy knows more than she is saying, but before he can say anything else, he grabs his neck and begins to choke out the words, Are you my mummy? Before the doctor's eyes, Constantine's features shift and change into a gas mask as he slumps in his chair. Rose and Jack enter the hospital, and Jack introduces himself to the doctor. Uh, Rose privately tells the doctor that she had to tell Jack they were time agents and give him a false name. She tells the Doctor about the Chula warship, and the Doctor demands to know from Jack what kind of warship it is. Jack insists that it has nothing to do with the plague. He does confess that the cylinder was just an ambulance, an empty shell which he was trying to pass off as valuable. Jack realizes now that Rose and the Doctor are not really time agents. The Doctor explains that human DNA is being rewritten by an idiot, but for what purpose? Back at the house, Nancy has returned to raid the kitchens, but the child gets inside. She does her best to hide. but The child eventually finds her in the dining room and asks her, Are you my mummy? In the hospital, the gas mask viruses, virus carriers suddenly get up and begin to advance in the trio of time travelers. As this episode comes to an end, to be continued uh, next part. Next episode. So you have anything here uh, to ask or to add at this point
1: here? Well, just a couple things here, Okay. maybe. Nothing too major that I know of. How does the boy mm-hmm. ring the telephone? I mean, how, is that explained? Next episode, yep. Next episode, okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was. Yep. Now the Doctor, not Doctor Who, uh, doctor, the actual doctor mm-hmm. has been around these gas mask kids for a while, apparently. Uh huh. So why does he suddenly now turn into a gas mask person? Um, I, I failed to see the reason that he turned now. Um. Well, it finally it took effect
0: on him. I mean. You know, we deal the same thing happens next episode with a different character. Um, it just eventually, you know, the um, the reason for this uh, gas mask thing that we learn about next episode uh, finally gets to him to, Eventually,
1: him. I guess. Okay. <laughs> um. That's about it. Except I, I, I know. Rose is using Spock as trying to be Star Trekky, I guess. sure, but yeah, I'm not sure it goes over too well with me, but I guess it's okay. Well I guess it's a well-known reference and stuff so
0: yeah, I mean he is the the character people know of Star Trek, yes. You reference Captain Kirk. That's not quite as known as a reference. Uh, probably not.
1: All right. Now that was about it for this so far.
0: All righty. Uh, so, of course, uh, my notes of important things or interesting things here. Uh, obviously, we're here in London uh, during World War II, the London Blitz, specifically, uh, and even more specifically in 1941. Uh as far as I can recall, we actually see the TARDIS in flight for the first time in this episode, if we disregard the title sequence, well, okay. <laughs> uh, which I'm, we see it in actual in-episode uh, for the first time. Additionally, of course, this is uh, Stephen Moffat's first episode here on the show. Uh, obviously, I already explained why that's very important. Uh, we meet the absolutely haunting foe. Technically, but not really, as we learn next episode, The Empty Child, uh, in this episode. Uh, So now, in what I imagine is a complete coincidence, but since this is a Moffat episode, and when this comes back is Moffat as well, maybe this was intentional. uh, When the doctor walks into the lounge singer, the lounge singer sings the line, I uphold silence still uh, right when the doctor walks in. Uh, So I don't know if this is intentional of Moffat trying to plant the idea of the doctor being connected to the silence, uh, which is a big arc in like season seven and eight. But nonetheless, I doubt it. (laughs) I imagine this is complete coincidence. But since since this is Moffat and that's all Moffat as well, I think it's possible, but I doubt it, but I thought I would point it out anyway. Uh, the phone on the outside of the TARDIS is sort of used for the first time here, which is another staple of uh, Moffat later when the TARD—the phone on the outside uh, becomes an actual phone, but they establish it's not actually connected to anything in this one, but nonetheless it'll uh, come back later. Um, we kind of meet Captain Jack Hartness for the first time. Technically, we have met him before, uh, which I can't really explain uh, to you too well here. Uh, but repeat, you know, people watching back through will know we've technically met him before. Uh, but we officially have met Jack Hartness for the first time. This episode, he of course will feature prominently uh, at times in the future. He's also uh, the main character of the Torchwood spinoff, and they immediately upon meeting him uh, establish a key part of the Harkness character, which is he will flirt with literally anyone, uh, no matter the circumstances, basically. Uh, the Doctor also gives us a brief insight into his childhood during his interactions with Nancy in the house uh, at the first time there, when he remarks that he was the only child left out in the cold. We'll learn a lot more about this in future. Uh, You're introduced to the concept of time agents, essentially a group of people who travel through time to purchase alien artifacts, uh, as they're established in this episode, basically, as well as nanogenes, tiny robots that heal injuries. Uh, We hear about the Chula, a race that's gone extinct, and we have the first actual utterance of Doctor Who, which is also a core question uh, later on in season seven and eight as well, I believe, maybe six as well, I forget exactly, but a a core story arc of one of those uh, Matt Smith Moffat seasons. Um, So that's all I really got uh, for this episode here, you have anything else to add now?
1: Um, no, I don't believe so. Nope.
0: All right, then that'll do it for this episode of the Clyde TV Recaps Doctor Who. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show for more great content like this. And until that next episode, good bye.